Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, where each week Jonathan and his co-host interview the leading experts in WordPress, e-learning, and online marketing. Jonathan, take it away. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Show. It's episode 550. We've got a fantastic guest. We've got Matthew Ranze with us, and we're, he's a data scientist, a consultant, an author, he knows everything about artificial intelligence <laughs> and big data. Um, he's been very gracious to um, say that he'd come on the show. Um, it's going to be a little bit different, but we're really going to delve into this world because um, over the, I'm sure like you, I've been hearing about artificial intelligence and big data for the past five years, literally every tech story it has some element of big data or artificial intelligence. Before I introduce him, I'd like to introduce my co-host, Stephen Saunders. Stephen, would you like to quickly introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Stephen Souter. I'm from zipfish.io. We specialize in making WordPress fast by optimizing both servers and the code that runs your site. That's great. And before we go into the main part of the interview with Matthew, I'd like to talk about one of our sponsors, that's Kinsta Hosting. Kinsta Hosting is a specialised WordPress hosting company. Um, it um, has been supporting WP Tonic for a couple of years now. Why should you be interested? Well, it provides really fantastic hosting for your for your projects and for your client projects, especially if you've got WooCommerce or a large learning management membership website, you need quality hosting. And they're one of the better providers in the field. They only specialize in WordPress. They provide all their hosting is on the Google Cloud. They provide a customized interface, all the technical bells and whistles, plus great support. It, that should be interesting for you and your clients. So go over to Kinsta, have a look at their packages. I suggest that you buy one for yourself or for your clients. And the main thing is tell them that you heard about them on the WP Tonic show. So let's go straight into the interview with Matthew. So Matthew, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um like I say, you um, are experienced scientists and um, specialising in artificial intelligence and big data. So I think we just go straight into the questions because we've got a limited amount of time. So I'm going to ask a really broad and semi-difficult question, but if you can just give a very quick outline, because I think the other questions we go into more detail, don't you? So what is the difference quickly, which is a ridiculous question in a way, but hopefully you understand why I'm asking it, between human intelligence and machine learning and AI? Well, I'll try to do it as quickly as possible, but you're right, it is a pretty big question. So we have a distinction between artificial intelligence and natural intelligence. And the main distinction is that natural intelligence is essentially uh, organic-based intelligence, and artificial is any machine that we use in order to uh, simulate intelligent thought which then we have to define intelligence, which is essentially uh, the rational agent definition is any agent that perceives its environment and chooses actions that maximize the expected likelihood of achieving a goal of some kind. And then within uh, organic intelligence, we have human intelligence, we have natural uh, animal intelligence, and we also have collective intelligence. And then within artificial intelligence, we have artificial narrow intelligence, artificial general intelligence, and then artificial super intelligence. 
And then machine learning is essentially just a subtype of artificial neurointelligence that is based on math and statistics. That's great. Before I throw it over to Stephen, what, where does the Curing, you know, the British scientist um, Alan Curing, and he had this test where if a machine could mimic a human being, he said that was conscious, basically that that machine or, or entity, whatever it would, you could then classify it as having almost human level consciousness. How does that fit into what you've just said? Well, when you think about it, when we judge other human beings as being intelligent or not, we're essentially performing a Turing test. We're essentially asking, we're making assumptions first off, and then we're asking them questions and the responses that we get from them help us to determine whether this person's actually intelligent and rational and conscious, conscious or whether they're just, you know, a robot on the other end. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people body. think, there's a lot of people that think that of me, actually. <laughs> So when Alan Turing was proposing this, he wasn't saying that this is the end-all, be-all criteria for determining whether a machine is conscious or not. Um, it was essentially trying to come up with, well, what is a heuristic for us to gauge whether a machine is producing intelligent responses or not? And I think most people would say that for them, when they would believe that a machine is actually intelligent is when it can explain exactly why it's doing what it's doing in a way that appeals to human intellect. If it can do that, most people would say, yeah, it's probably conscious. Um, and if it's not able to do that, then it's pretty clear it, it's, it's most likely not conscious. But um, I guess conscious in the sense of metacognition, understanding its own thoughts, behaviors, and actions, and being able to explain them or articulate them in a way that is intellectually satisfying to us as human beings. Oh, great. Over to you, Stephen. What, what, what does that look like? like what's, what's an example of something that would be like intellectually satisfying to a human being? Like, a computer explaining, like, well, like, what does that kind of tangibly feel like, I guess? Um, well, to me, for example, if a, if a machine is unable to explain why it determined that uh, a certain type of uh, image contains, you know, a diagnosis of cancer, um, we, would, we would say that it clearly doesn't understand it. It's just it's a function. It's mapping an input to an output and giving us an answer. But if it could articulate exactly why it believes that this is cancer versus not cancer, and human doctors listen to this explanation, they're like, yeah, no, it clearly understands that this is, you know, cancer because of this and that. It meets all of our needs from an intellectual standpoint. Uh, I think that's what they would say is satisfying that criteria for explainability. Interesting. So then, like, what about neural networks then? Because, like, the classic thing that I hear about neural networks is that, like, it's kind of a black box. Like, nobody really knows what's going on. Like, you send enough mm -hmm. data in, you get, enough, you get your result out, and then, like, how did it come up with that? Who knows? Yeah, and right now, neural networks are largely a black box. Uh, we, we train them with a set of data, and then it uh, essentially we give it a new input, it produces an output, and in some cases, we have bits of explainable AI that we can use in order to try teasing out why, but it's not, it's not, it's not um, of its own volition explaining its, its behaviors. It's essentially we're kind of coding the explanations in. So we're giving it an input, and we're getting an output plus a, another output, which is kind of like a uh, diagnostic explanation, if that makes sense. Interesting. And when, like, as far as neural networks go, when I think of them, often I think of them like in like identifying things, like or predicting things, like in like those two different areas. Maybe that's where all AI, um, like, sits. But are there like other questions out there besides like this is a apple, or if I throw this ball, it's going to land over there? Kind of like predicting, identifying. Are there other questions that people are trying to answer outside of 
like those two like primary, very basic ideas? Yeah, so you can use neural networks for a lot of different things. Um, so in general, there's two kinds of categories of machine learning. There's analysis and there's synthesis. And analysis is where we're taking a complex high dimensional set of data and reducing it down to a, a simplified or more abstract version. So you take an image and you produce a label that this is a cat. Uh, you take an image of a person's skin and you say, this is cancer, this is not cancer. Um, and you can take audio and say, well, this sound is a gunshot or not. Um, or you could also do what we call regression. So those are classification examples. Regression would be like um, you show it a, a, a bunch of houses and their sales prices, and then you predict the uh, a, a new house that it's never seen before, how much it's likely to sell for. And so classification, regression, other areas like we have anomaly detection. So what data are different from the normal data? We do cluster analysis uh, where we're looking at the, the, the similarities between types of data and, and putting them into clusters. Um, we can also do things like recommendations, very common. Um, but beyond that, um, in, and those are all analysis tasks. In the synthesis side, we're essentially generating complex higher dimensional data from more simplified inputs. So, and most people don't even know that a lot of this stuff exists, at least in research right now. But like you can type a description of, you know, um, I want to, uh, a, a, a black bird that has yellow stripes and something mid-flight. And it, it, we can actually generate an image of what that description says uh, that looks realistic. Uh, we can do it with human faces as well, too. Um, you can just describe a female with blue eyes, blonde hair, and you know, age 23 approximately. And you can synthesize a face that matches that. Or you can draw sketches. And it will, from those sketch lines, it will produce a face. Um, and even more complex stuff. We can synthesize video now, too. You feed it what we call semantically labeled uh, images. And it will produce like real time video that looks like it's an actual car driving down the street. Man, crazy. Uh, John, yeah. back to you. Well, um, where to take that? So, um, basically, going to jump the order slightly of the predefined questions that I managed to cobble together with my limited knowledge of this subject. Um, but when you talk about neural networks, um, where because obviously neural networks, the way I saw them um, with my primitive knowledge level was that um, it was like throwing that you kind of, you put percentages and um, it's like throwing the dice and progressively you train um, the artificial intelligence to go through a layer of if and yes or no's yep. percentages, prob probability, that was what I was looking for. Um, and because you, you knew the pre well, and then it would come out with an answer. I'm mumbling there, but um, and then you mentioned reductionism, you know, which is a fundamental part of science. But I was wondering, um, game theory, what did neural networks at all? Um, that is a, it is a, I am, I am correct in saying it's a form of mathematics, isn't it? Neuron networks and especially game theory. Was the two kind of linked together? Was neural networks developed as a way of helping get answers around game theory or were they totally divorced, Matthew? Um, well, I think there's two questions in here. We'll start with the neural networks and then we'll go on to game theory. So first off with neural networks, um, I, I've got to admit that there are a lot of people in academia, I think, that are um, using overly complex uh, attempts to explain these to the general public. Never, and then we've got never. People... I'm so shocked. 
<laughs> you've got you've got people that I think do a really good job of explaining these things to the general public because they're not trying to uh, inundate you with mathematical terminology and stuff like that. So the the most basic way I can explain what a neural network is is using a metaphor from biology. So essentially, the metaphor of an actual uh, human brain. Some people will get angry with me for even using the metaphor, but I think it works well. In in order to conceptualize what's going on. And that's originally where neural networks came from. They were based on this kind of crude understanding of how we thought brains worked back in like the 1950s and 60s. Mm-hmm. So um, you think about it as a set of neurons, just like a human brain connected with synapses. And you know, you've got an input coming into the neuron and then it will fire uh, if the uh, threshold is high enough for activation. And then it goes on to the next layer and the next layer and the next layer. And we have some where the neurons kind of go like this and we have some where the neurons kind of go like that. And you can think of that in terms of like the the analysis and the synthesis uh, like metaphor that we're using. And so um, you are essentially training uh, a neural network to learn a mapping from an input to an output using this kind of this conceptual model of a brain. Uh, so we we train it with data. We give it a bunch of examples of the inputs and a bunch of examples of the outputs. We're giving it the answer while we're training it. And then um, over time, it's essentially learning uh, this function. And so that's that's the conceptual, uh, biological conceptualization of it. But in the real world, we actually model all this mathematically. So it, mathematically, a neural network is what we call a universal function approximator. It's essentially estimating, you know, given an input, it's providing an estimate of the output from a purely mathematical or statistical standpoint. Once again, it's, it's just a function. It's a mapping of an input to an output. But when we're representing this brain, if you will, or this neural network uh, mathematically, we're doing it with um, mathematical operations and a bunch of numbers that we store in an array, which we call a vector. So whenever you hear about feature vectors and stuff like that, that's essentially it's just an array of numbers. So you've got number, 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 number. And if we have it in two dimensions, we call that a matrix. And if we have that in more than two dimensions, we call that a tensor, which is where TensorFlow gets its name. It's just an n-dimensional array of numbers. So three-dimensional, four-dimensional, or many dimensions. And then we're using linear algebra in order to compute an output given an input. Linear algebra, same thing you'd get if you were a freshman or sophomore in uh, an engineering uh, class in college. It's not super complicated math. In fact, most high school students, I think, could do linear algebra quite easily. And then we use uh, basic calculus to train the network uh, or train the weights of the neural network um, during the training process. And that's just the the you know, gradient descent and uh, the, the chain rule, stuff you learn as a freshman, essentially, in calculus. Yes, but Matthew, you're using words that are instilling fear into my heart. Calculus. Oh, really? So, calculus? Yeah, mm-hmm. but, uh, but oh, they wouldn't touch me because I've got dyslexia. So um, I, um, I'm very good at business, math, though. I've always been good at that. <laughs> and I'm very good at the concepts, um, as most dyslexics are. But um, I, I didn't really give them the answers that they were looking for. So um, that was the end of me. Uh, um, so... Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to throw another go back because I put them out of order and that probably confused Stephen but I, Stephen should have got used to that by now um, <laughs> so th- let's go on um, so this concept of weights um, <laughs> so which applies to neural networks I presume as I was doing my research that is a kind of measurement of the actual output maybe am I right or totally wrong there um, well, so when you're thinking about a neural network, there's essentially three uh, kind of concepts. We've got weights, we've got biases, and we have activation functions. And so the weights you can think of as 
the strength of the connection between each neuron in a neural network. So the, the larger the number, the stronger the connection, the lower the number, typically in a negative uh, direction, the uh, weaker the connection, or the, I guess it's a reverse connection. Um, and so the, the weights are essentially representing this strength between the neurons. And then each neuron has what we call an activation function, which essentially represents when the neuron's gonna fire. So if there's a little bit of input, is it gonna fire right away? Or if there's a lot of input, is it gonna fire? And so that's kind of controlling when the neuron itself fires and then the weights are in between these neurons. And then we've got something called a bias, which essentially just shifts this activation function either to the left or the right. You can think of it as increasing or decreasing the sensitivity of the neuron itself. And then all of these weights were essentially just setting during the training process uh, using a, a technique that we call back propagation, which I'd be happy to explain if you'd like. No, um, that was going to be our next question. So um, I think um, I think we leave that to a break and um, we come back with that, actually. Sure. Um, we, hopefully we haven't totally lost you, audience, but I, I think it's been an interesting discussion. Um, keep with us. Uh, I'm sure you're going to be enlightened. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. LaunchFlows turns your WooCommerce website into a selling machine. We make it easy to create gorgeous sales funnels, no friction checkouts, order bumps, upsells, downsells, and much more. Gain full control over your buyer's journey from the top of your WooCommerce sales funnel all the way to the bottom. Best of all, you can use your favorite page builder, such as Elementor, Divi, Beaver Builder, Gutenberg, or one of the high converting templates we've included inside. Get rid of the clunky WooCommerce shop pages and checkout process in favor of an optimized buyer flow that instantly increases conversions and makes you more money. LaunchFlows provides one-click order bumps that increase the total value of every sale with a 10 to 30% conversion rate. This is perfect for anyone offering complimentary products, training, or extended warranties. With unlimited upsells and downsells, your buyer's journey doesn't need to end at the checkout. Instead, we make it easy to display a series of additional offers as part of the original transaction. This is perfect for one-time offers, related products, mastermind class offers, high-ticket software sales, or subscription supplements. Not an expert? Don't worry. We've got the training and the consultation you need. WP Launchify will teach you how to get the most out of launch flows with personal consultation on WordPress, WooCommerce, marketing automation, and much more. If you want to earn more money with your WooCommerce online business, you owe it to yourself to try launch flows today. We're coming back. <laughs> We've had a feast of our own auto artificial intelligence and what is it and what are some of its key parts hopefully we haven't totally lost you audience i think not i know you are a smart and intelligent audience and you know better you've kept with this better than me and i'm sure Stephen totally understands as well uh, um, i'm struggling and i i wrote up the questions but uh, um Matthew is going at a pace, which is great. So, Matthew, you were gonna, you were, we're gonna come back. We were talking about weights, and then um, a related question in our list is back pop propagation. What, what does that mean, Matthew? So, back propagation is is a technique that we use to train a neural network. 
Um, if, and I'm guessing most people aren't familiar with neuroscience, but it, it's equivalent to what we call the credit assignment problem in neuroscience. How do you assign a value to each neuron for its participation in choosing a correct answer? So if you've got a bunch of neurons and you make a correct answer, you need to go back and tell each neuron, hey, you did a good job when you fired or not fired in order to produce the right answer. So, but we have to do this mathematically because, you know, we don't have organic brains inside of computers. So once again, we go right back to, we're talking freshman uh, calculus. It's not very complicated math at all. And we use something called the chain rule in order to calculate the derivative of each neuron, which once again is basically just saying, how much credit should I give to this neuron for its contribution to the answer that uh, it gave? And then gradually, we're just increasing or we're decreasing the weight of each of these neurons or synapses in between the neurons uh, using this gradient descent process, essentially just moving it slightly down this way or moving it slightly up this way because it's, it's doing a good job or a bad job answering the question. Essentially, we're providing it tiny rewards or punishments for each neuron, uh, whether it's giving us a right or a wrong answer. And then um, essentially these small nudges to the weights are giving us better answers every time we punish it or reward it for a correct or a wrong answer. That's great. Over to you, Stephen. So I guess just to like, I'm just trying to like build a picture of this <clears throat> in my head. Uh, let's say like I'm a Tesla. I'm trying to identify if something is a human because I, mm -hmm. I need to know if something is a human. So like that'll be a UK, our use case. So I'm trying to build a, net, a neural network that will like, be like, a, I guess, an image of, like identification of like, this is a human, this is a trash can, um, or not a human, I guess is like the question. So if I'm going to approach this problem, I have all this data set that says these are all humans, I feed it into my neural network, and then it processes all of that, and it knows it's all humans, so like good rewards or whatever, like going through that back chain, so that any neural network that fired when it said it was a human is a positive thing. If it didn't fire, that's also a positive thing. Um, so those get more weights or maybe, and, but then let's say I do then like the opposite, like a trash can just to test it. And if trash cans are coming out of humans, that means I need to keep training it, I guess, right? Is that, is that like a proper way of thinking yeah. through this? Yeah, um, so yeah, every time you're running the training algorithm, it will get progressively better at detecting a human versus a trash can. And so then the more times you run it, you'll eventually, it'll taper out and you won't get any better as you uh, continue to feed it more information or run it additional times or iterations. And then once you've hit that kind of threshold, that's essentially as good as that network's going to perform without doing some other kind of uh, techniques. We can do some other things outside of that training process uh, to, to make it work better. But yeah, conceptually, like, you've exactly, that's exactly what we're doing. Um, you know, we feed it a picture of a human. If it guesses human, we give it a thumbs up and, you know, that, that assigns the credit back through the network. If it is said trash can when it was a human, then we give it a thumbs down and that gives a negative, you know, credit back through the network. And then we feed it a trash can. And if it predicts trash can, we give it a thumbs up. And if it predicts not trash can, we give it a thumbs down. And over time, it's going to progressively get better at doing this until we've essentially maxed out the uh, accuracy or the performance of that neural network. And so if I'm a developer, do I just like, take this, I don't know, let's say it's like some open source neural network thing that's been developed out there and I kind of just tweak the weights or whatever, or am I actually going in and trying to decide like these neural networks are supposed to identify these kind of pixels and should have this kind of weight? Like how, how in depth does like a neural network <coughs> developer get into actually manipulating the neural networks or is it more about manipulating the data sets 
and the thumbs up and thumbs down? So this is a great question. And this is one of the things that I think is largely misunderstood in the developer community right now. Um, I'm going to try breaking this into three different groups. Um, we've got pre-trained models, which are essentially off-the-shelf solutions that are ready to go. Um, a developer using one of these pre-trained models, like um, you know, Microsoft has their cognitive services. Uh, we've got uh, Google's cloud AI services and Amazon's AI services. These are off the shelf, ready to go. Uh, you just give it an input, it's going to give you an output. You don't have to do any training. You don't need to know anything about math or statistics or neural networks. You just start using it. Um, then we have a, 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 well, we'll go to the other side. Then we've also got like completely custom neural networks where you're going to need a data scientist. You're going to need a bunch of data. You're going to need training algorithms and a whole bunch of compute power in order to train a model from scratch. We've got some tools that we're building like uh, AutoML or automated machine learning, which are making this a lot easier and, and not requiring as many, um, you know, as much knowledge or resources uh, in order to make it happen. But, um, and we can talk about that too. But then in the middle, we've got something that we call a transfer learning, where we take a pre-trained model that was designed to do one specific task. If this detects humans or this detects cats, and then we slightly tweak it through this process called transfer learning to have it do a slightly different task. So, well, it was de designed to detect people, but we needed to detect our company's logo instead. So it's already been trained, all the hard work's been done. So all we need to do is give it a couple of examples of our company's logo, and then it will essentially adapt what it's already learned to just that new task. And that is actually relatively easy. I mean, there's the drag and drop services online to do transfer learning right now. So depending upon what type of problem you're solving in each of these three categories, you either need to know nothing about uh, you know, machine learning neural networks and you know, that stuff, uh, or you need to know a whole bunch about it, uh, or you just need to know enough in between to get by. But it all depends upon what you're trying to solve. And there's tools in each of these three categories now for developers. Interesting. So the idea is that if somebody has figured this out fairly easy to do, kind of tweak it to what you need. If you're more on yep. the bleeding edge of things and are trying to develop new systems, that's where like you really got to roll up your sleeves and have like a data scientist on your team and all of these other people that know exactly what's happening and how it's going on. Um, it's not something that you could just go hire a developer from Upwork or whatever and be like, hey, do this for me. Yeah, and it's exactly correct. It, it really depends upon what you're trying to do. If And this is why I always recommend just start by doing a search for existing solutions to this problem. Oftentimes, someone's already already solved it for you, has solved a very similar problem which you can transfer the learning from, or nobody's even attempted this, and you're pretty much on your own, and that's when you need a you know, data scientist and a, you know, a data engineer, a machine learning engineer. Okay, interesting. John, then I'll kick it back to you. Right, so Matthew, um, earlier on in the first half of the show, you said that we don't fully understand the mathematics. So is it is it a similar, when it comes to um, these neural networks, um, is it a similar situation to quantum physics that the mathematics in, that utilise in quantum physics works and we get outcomes that help us build the modern world? But when we are trying when we try and apply quantum physics to the larger world of gravity, um, what came from Einstein with relativity um, doesn't really play well with, is it that situation? So outside its field, the actual mathematics, or is it we really just don't understand the mathematics completely that is utilised to model these neural networks? 
Well, I think I understand the the comparative metaphor you're using, and um, uh, I think it's interesting. You're but doing I well. Most most people can <laughs> <laughs> do. I, I don't know that it's it's a good mapping for the relationship to what we currently know about uh, neural networks. So uh, I think the thing we have to understand is that you know the the mathematics to execute a neural network and to train a neural network we understand really well. And as I've said, you know it's it's literally uh, the the type of math that's why that I was you, getting confused because you were okay. you was you were hinting through the rest of the questions that, but at the beginning you were suggesting that we didn't fully understand the mathematics. That's what yeah. So thank you. I think the um, the quantum mechanic bit, uh, I was just trying to make out. That was really intelligent, actually. There we oh, go. no, and no, actually, I, um, I, I, do like, I do like the comparison. And I, I could speculate on how they are related, but um, I'm, I know just enough about quantum uh, physics right now to be dangerous, and I would probably say something wrong. But I am studying uh, quantum computing in order to better understand it so that someday I'll be able to come on the show and talk to you about quantum computers. Uh, but so, so back to what we do know and what we don't know. So execution and training of the neural network, we understand pretty, pretty well. But we don't have a complete theory of why neural networks work the way they work. So sometimes like a neural network will work really good for this task A, and we try to get it to do task B that seems like it should work, and it just completely um. fails. And we don't understand why yet. Um, we have guesses as to it, but we don't have like a mathematical theory for why it works or doesn't work. Um, but experts are currently working towards a kind of a unified or general theory of neural networks. And I'm guessing we'll probably be there someday. Um, and we also don't fully understand how best to implement them, but we're learning new techniques every day. In fact, there's every week I'm reading about a new technique someone tried that did something impressive. Um, you know, we've now got auto machine learning or automated machine learning. Uh, transformers are blowing up right now in terms of what we're discovering they can do. Uh, we have modular neural networks, uh, spiking neural networks, a whole slew of different techniques that are eventually going to lead us uh, to, to solve problems that we can't currently solve with them. And uh, things like reinforcement learning too. And we often can't explain in why neural networks are doing what they're doing from a, a purely, um, well, we, we can explain mathematically. I can show you the calculations it made to the, get to the decision. But in, in terms of a uh, an explanation that average human being would understand. We're we're still quite a ways away in, in many domains about that, but we're getting better with explainable AI and um, you know uh, transparent AI systems uh, that help us to understand why neural networks are doing what they do. But what I generally recommend is uh, always use the simplest tool for the job. Uh, essentially, if you can get away with um, using just like a decision tree classifier, which is a really basic form of machine learning, like ridiculously simple. It's just a tree of decisions that it's making. Uh, you know, use that if it's solving the problem. Don't build a deep neural network just to squeeze out another half a percent of accuracy. Because, like, if you have to try explaining to a judge why your, you know, um, your credit approval algorithm rejected this person, uh, you can show him the decision tree, and he's going to be like, "Oh yeah, I clearly understand why you approved or rejected this person." But if you show him a bunch of linear algebra and calculus, uh, he's going to have no idea, you know, what you're talking about. So. Simplest tool to solve the problem. Yeah, there we go. I think we're going to wrap up the podcast part of the show. 30 minutes roughly goes really quick. I did warn Matthew, and I, and I think I kept my waffling down to a certain degree, listeners and viewers. Hopefully you enjoyed this interview. Um, it's a little bit outside our normal realm. Um, if you do, just give us some feedback, and I'll try and get some other people slightly outside the normal realm of WordPress plugins, business and development um so matthew's decide is agreed to stay on for another 15 minutes which you can see in our 
bonus content. Um, so keep with us. Um, I think it's been a fascinating discussion. So, Matthew, what's the best way for people to find out more about you, your ideas, and maybe, you know, you give some other insights into this fascinating world of um, which we've been discussing? So uh, everything that I do, I try putting on my website, which is MatthewRenzi.com, um, including all of the places you can find me on the internet will be linked there and all of my online courses. So essentially the best way to describe my job right now as a data science consultant with a focus on AI and machine learning is that I'm trying to help uh, software developers and IT professionals understand uh, data science, machine learning, and AI without having to go back to college to understand what they need to know in order to start leveraging these tools today. So I'm doing my absolute best to try explaining things as simply as possible using metaphors that I think everyone can understand and trying to strip away all of the complex math out of it. Because, you know, there's a place for that in academia. Um, and if you want to go you know, back to college in order to get a master's degree in AI, uh, absolutely, you will need to know linear algebra calculus, like uh, multivariate calculus, and even more complex math than that even. But um, for the average software developer, because of how we've got these tools prepackaged and stuff, I don't think they need uh, that level of knowledge in order to start using this stuff. So, yeah, check out my website, MatthewRenzi.com. Oh, that's great. And Stephen, what's the best way for people to learn more about you and what you're up to? Head over to zipfish.io, run a speed test, and see how we can make your website faster. And before we wrap up the show, folks, I just want to remind you that I'm doing a webinar. Um, it's the second Friday of December. I think that's the 11th of December at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's going to be me and Spencer Forum again, our, our first webinar in a series which was last month, was a, um, well, still this month, actually, um, was a great success, got a lot of positive feedback. Um, this this upcoming webinar, like I say, in December, um, is going to be um, roughly around the same thing, but with additional information. We're going to be showing you actively how you can integrate a WordPress website with one of the leading um, CRMs, which is going to be Active Campaign. We're actually going to go through an actual example of how you link the two together to fire off a series of automated email using Active Campaign. And we're, we're going to, during our series of webinars, we're going to be looking at a series of the leading tools and actively explaining the fundamentals and then giving you a practical example. Um, also, if you really want to support the show, go over to the WP Tonic YouTube channel and subscribe. You'll be able to watch the bonus content of my our interview with Matthew, the whole interview plus the bonus on the channel. So go over now to the YouTube channel and sign up. Um, we'll see you next week with either another great interview or a until discussion between me and Stephen. We'll see you soon, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week. 